Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Clint Davis, the movies and TV editor here on the program, or maybe I should say the movies and TV correspondent. I don't know. I don't know what uh, title to go with anymore, but regardless, I'm coming at you uh, just uh, days really after the biggest sporting and cultural and, and really the biggest live television event of the year. Every year happens, of course, the uh, Super Bowl, and this year's was so boring, and the halftime show was so bad that uh, no one watched. It was the lowest rating since 2003, I believe, is what the last thing that I read. So, you, I mean, you're talking about a historic drop-off we had seen over the last few years of the Super Bowl, so don't tell me that it's, it's because the Patriots were in it again, because they've been in it for the, this is the third year in a row they were in it. This is the, you know, like... 10th year out of however many years that they've been in it and the ratings kept going up and up every single year every year the ratings got better and better uh for the super bowl they were reaching historic highs for television history every time uh, for the last few years but this year it dropped off completely so i don't know what it was i don't know if it was you know the nation falling out of love with football you know, slowly over time or all the, you know, the the Colin Kaepernick blackballing stuff finally coming to a head or just the fact that nobody really cared about this game or that the, 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 the halftime show sounded so boring to everyone. I don't know what it was, but no one watched. So I watched, uh, but I was uh, one of the few. And I can't tell you I was thrilled in the whole thing. And you're talking about them playing against one of the, the, the second biggest market, media market in the entire country. So I don't know what happened, but nobody watched. Did you watch? Do you usually watch? I don't know. I always watch, but once again, I I, I watched it again this year, and 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 I was was not impressed at all with any of the football being played. And at halftime, I didn't watch the halftime show. I flipped it over to WWE Network to watch their halftime heat special, and I don't regret it. It was the best thing I watched all night long, except for maybe that 100 years of football commercial, which really was fantastic for anyone who geeks out over football. Uh, and knows anything about football history, that commercial was just the gift that kept on giving. Um, I mean, it's it's it would be it would be like impossible to do it for movie lovers because so many of our icons are dead. But luckily for football, so many of them are still alive. They were able to appear in that commercial. So anyway, if you have a minute of time, go on YouTube and, and look that up. The 100 year game. It was probably the highlight of the entire 
night. And while you're there, look up Halftime Heat, too, because it was the other highlight of the entire night. Might even turn you into a wrestling fan. Who knows? So I told you last time we talked, uh, my friend, that uh, I'm trying to do a better job of documenting all the movies that I watch in a given year. I told you I, I started an IMDb list of specifically watched in 2019. I recommend you do the same thing if you're trying to keep track of what you watch in a given year because, you know, it's easy to forget once the year rolls over. When's the last time I watched that? When did I last watch this movie that I love? Uh, and you can go back and check now. Uh, so that I've been doing that, but I've also now um, made it to where you can follow along in real time as I watch all the movies that I watch in a given year. So if you follow me on Instagram, at Mr. Clint Davis, I'm the same uh, on Twitter, Mr. Clint Davis, you'll see in my story, every time I post a story, it's, it's every time I watch a movie. So every time I watch a movie, I post a picture, just like a still image. Literally, I take a picture of my TV. It's as lo-fi as it can get. Take a picture of the TV. I write the title of the movie, the year it came out, and I just tell you that I'm watching that right then. So in real time, you can see kind of what I'm watching at any given time. So, so far this year, if you've been following along with me, I've already, in just a month of, of 2019, I've already hit America, I've hit Japan, I've hit France, Sweden, Hungary, uh, I might even be forgetting something, and I've watched stuff from every decade from the 1930s up through this year, and we're only in February, my friend. So you can finally maybe understand how truly obsessed with movies I am if you follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, and feel free to send me messages and reactions to what I'm watching. If it's something that maybe you've seen or something you thought about watching and you've wondered if it's worth your time, I'll happily uh, tell you what I think about it. I don't offer reviews on there. I don't like write a little review. That's not. I'm just. I'm not short-winded enough to do that. I'm not going to write a whole review in an Instagram post. Uh, but I just like to tell you what I'm watching with no uh, take on it whatsoever. So if you uh, have been wondering about any of the movies that I'm watching, please uh, feel free to reach out and, or, or tell me what you thought about them. If it's something that you know you watched yourself, I'd love to uh, love to know. Again, I'm on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis. All right, enough of that. Let's go ahead and get to uh, what we're all here for. Let's talk about the greatest TV theme song and get to what's streaming on TV, what's in theaters right now. Uh, let me go ahead and light my stogie. It's the only way I can do it. I'm sitting in my closet in uh, the on the outskirts of Columbus, Ohio, coming at you here, and uh, I like to get it nice and smoky in here just to just to just to make the mood. All right, here we go. Let's light it up. You know, every great TV show starts with a great theme song. Well, most of them anyway. Lost didn't really have a theme song. It had like a, a sound effect uh, to start every episode of it. Uh, but, you know, most shows start with a great theme song. So here on this show, we have our theme song, but we also like to break down what I consider to be the greatest TV show theme song of all time for whatever this week is. Whatever I'm feeling this week is the greatest TV show theme song of all time. And actually, you know, this show comes at you monthly, so I should say this month, but I'm not going to change it. Because i like you to say it along with me. So, let's get down to it. What's this week's selection for the greatest TV show theme song of all time? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's one of my favorite, personal favorite TV theme songs ever put down on television. I know I say that to you every month, but this one really is one of my absolute favorites. It's one of those that just so perfectly sums up the the feeling that you get of the show. It's not one of those that, that is going to tell you in the lyrics what happens in the show, mostly because this was already a song before the show aired, but it just so perfectly 
fits the 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 feel of this show. So let's go let's go back to 2014 and hear uh, our greatest TV show theme song of all time for this week. Do you recognize it, my friend? It's the theme song from the first season of True Detective on HBO. One of the best theme songs in recent memory. And like I said, wasn't a theme song that was written uh, for TV, but sometimes that's so magical. And what this show had working for it and still has working for it, uh, True Detective that is, is T-Bone Burnett, one of the uh, great um, kind of guys who pivoted from being a musician that not a lot of people really knew. I mean, you had to be kind of a big music nerd to know T-Bone Burnett and his work with like the Rolling Thunder review uh, for Bob Dylan. And and he was you know, one of those guys that was always kind of behind the scenes, not the guy who you're going to go out and buy a T-Bone Burnett record. But in recent years, he's become a name that people know because of his work mostly in television. He's done a lot of great work um, picking music for TV songs, composing music uh, for TV shows, I should say. And... Um, True Detective is one of those that kind of even in furthered uh, how great he is at this. And, and uh, the, the classic Coen Brothers movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, was uh, one of those that kind of put him on the map as far as picking music and composing music for original films. So True Detective, he does the music for the show and he picked the theme song here, which is a song called Far From Any Road by an alt-country band called The Handsome Family. This song, Far From Any Road, actually came out way back in 2003. So you're talking about an 11-year-old song that not a whole lot of people knew. I mean, really, this wasn't like a hit song. It didn't bubble up on any charts. Uh, You're not going to hear it on the radio. You're you're still not going to hear it on the radio today. It's not one of those songs that became a hit even after it was... Uh, it became such a, a great TV theme song. It did not become a hit song. I mean, I'm sure it got way more downloads than it ever did. I'm sure it got way more Spotify streams than it ever did before. But I'm not going to call this a hit song, even though it was universally revered as a great TV theme song. It doesn't exactly have that top 40 radio feel. You know, it's a little grim and grisly and uh, a little gruff, if I can use uh, some more alliteration there. Thank you, Miss Hensley. So uh, the song, like I said, Far From Any Road by The Handsome Family came out back in 2003. The Handsome Family is a band that is actually um, composed. The nucleus of it is this duo. It's a husband-wife duo at the core. And the band is based in New Mexico. They're originally from Chicago, but they're based in New Mexico now. Don't they sound more like a New Mexico band than a a Chicago band, if I am saying so myself? This band has has released nine records, studio records, since 1994, including the 2003 album that uh, this song, Far From Any Road, originally appeared on. And I'm guessing that T-Bone Burnett must have just had it kind of as one of those songs that he wanted to use in something. He knew it. He knew this song. Um, 
and it, it finally the opportunity presented itself and he was like hey this would be a great uh place to use this when the last light warms the rocks and the rattlesnakes unfold and that sound just kind of fits perfectly right and 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 True Detective, the first season. Now, if you know anything about True Detective, you know every season is a new story, new timeline, new characters. You know, it's a uh, it's an anthology show all the way. But the first season of True Detective was really um, one of the the great single seasons of TV that we've seen in a long time. I think in television. And what that season explored, it, it followed these two detectives for the uh, Louisiana State Police. And they were investigating the murder of a prostitute that happened in 1995. And the show jumps around in time. It jumps, uh, it covers the, the course of like 20 years in time. And it, it, it follows these guys as they get old. And the, the crime was unsolved. Several other crimes were unsolved. Uh, it gets into their personal lives. It gets into how this, this case ate at them as the years went by, as they got old. And the two detectives, of course, were played by Matthew McConaughey and uh woody harrelson and and they both did such a good job so much chemistry between those two it was just immediately apparent and it gave this show really an air of being kind of more like a a hollywood a-list film than being a television show and hbo's done that many many times over the years but this is one of their best examples And True Detective, uh, the first season, debuted on January 12, 2014. The whole show was created by this writer named Nick Pizzolatto, who wanted to, I guess, do the show as a novel originally, but then thought it would actually work better as a television show. And we're all glad he did because it's one of the best, you know, first seasons of any TV show I can ever remember. And it was crazy because 2014 was the same year that Fargo debuted and you really what you had there were two of the best crime shows that had ever been on TV and you had two of the best first seasons of any kind of TV show that had ever been on TV um and it, it's crazy that those two shows both came out at the same time because they're just both so eccentric so interesting so some people might say overwritten I disagree with that I don't think there's really a such thing uh if I'm being honest with you I mean I'm a, a big Sopranos fan so I don't think overwriting is something you can do, but True Detective certainly uh, has has had that criticism at times. Now, the first season was brilliant. The second season, I covered it as it was happening here on this show, and you know there were moments that I really liked. There was just I, I think it was miscast, and I think it was um, doomed because it, it followed such a tough act to follow in what was the first season. Maybe the second season, uh, the reviews will get kinder as it goes on. And for the second season, they used a theme song. Uh, that was a song by Leonard Cohen, and I just didn't think it worked quite as well. And uh, and now the third season is on the air. I'm going to get to that in a second. And they've got a, a new theme song for that as well. Once again, I don't think it's quite as good as the first season theme song, but it's it's good for its own merits, and it's a, it's a good song, and the imagery is still great. It's still haunting. Uh, but this first season, man, just something really special there. And that song, Far From Any Road by the Handsome Family, just 
really welcomed you in every week to a new episode of this show. And it was one of those theme songs, which it's rare these days, that you never skipped. And it's kind of a long theme song. They The version of the song that they use for the theme song is like a minute and a half long, pretty long. Um, and if you're watching this, if you're binge watching it, which I did, I watched the first season in binge fashion. I didn't actually watch it as it was on. I, I, we watched it on DVD, actually, uh, Beth and I did. Um, so that tells you kind of where we were at then watching TV shows still in 2014. Uh, but we watched the theme song every time because it was just so good. It's a great song, fit perfectly with the imagery, fit per- perfectly with the theme of the show, the setting of the show. And um, not like it, it doesn't sound like a stereotypical, like done to death Louisiana kind of song. The show was set in Louisiana. They could have gone cliche with the music, but they didn't. Didn't go with like a jazzy kind of thing. They went with like an alt country kind of uh, a roots country kind of thing. And I think it worked beautifully. And the song Far From Any Road by The Handsome Family, that's our pick. That's our 37th pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Detective season one man brings back great TV memories thinking about watching that for the first time it was just so uh, kind of mind-blowing it's still one of those shows that I think about to this day um, with all the pieces that were left unfinished and those kind of haunting images I still think about that image um, that photograph of the all those old guys wearing hoods on the horse and it wasn't horses and it wasn't a KKK thing but it was like, what is this? Like a child sex cult between these rich, older white guys in this small town in Louisiana, all these connected guys who can kind of get away with whatever they want. And I think about, you know, Rust sitting, the, the character that um, that Matthew McConaughey played, sitting in that um, storage unit watching videotapes and just still being obsessed with this case after all those years. You know, I got to say, I, I did think the conclusion was a little... Um, a little underwhelming after all the buildup as far as when we finally found out who the Yellow King was. But it was just a, um, a just a beautiful season of television. And I, I think about that very fondly, the first season of True Detective, one of my favorite first seasons of any TV show that we've ever seen. So the third season of True Detective just uh, debuted, you know, like a, a month ago now that I'm talking to you and uh, season three is still on its way. There's a couple episodes left to round out the season. So I'm talking to you kind of as it's airing, I believe by the time our next episode airs, the season should be over. So I'll be able to give you kind of a full season review, but I got to tell you, I have been loving the third season of true detective. Talk about a return to form. Um, They went back to now the second season didn't do so much of the timeline jumping. It was more of a linear kind of uh, story than what the first season was. First season just jumped so far out of time and and showed these guys as they got older and there were so many mysteries to put together. Second season was a little bit more straightforward, I think, and and did kind of some of the hard work for you. And acting just wasn't quite there. I just, Vince Vaughn, I don't know what they were thinking. He just wasn't, he wasn't ready for that. I mean, I, I understand a guy wanting to do a challenge and wanting to challenge himself, but I don't think he was ready for that. And it, it, he just he didn't sell it for me. But season three of True Detective, at the top of this, we've got Mahershala Ali. So we've got an Oscar winner and a guy who's proven himself in everything he's been in. 
that he is he is you know a true heavyweight, one of the best actors that we have working right now. And Stephen Dorff, who's a guy that I think is really underrated because I really liked him a lot um, in the movie Somewhere, which that's the last you know great movie that Sofia Coppola has done. And um, I, I really I loved that movie. That was had the great Elle Fanning in it. Everything she's ever done, I really liked. But Stephen Dorff was fantastic in it, and it was this really good melancholy father daughter kind of uh, you know you know movie about connecting through generations and 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 the the disconnect between the two and just a really cool movie that had this unique feel of its own. This very relaxed, laid back feel that not a lot of movies can pull off naturally and that one did uh so steven dorf is the co-star of mahershala ali in this season and they play the two partners this time around and this season jumps around even more than the first season did so i gotta tell you if you are thinking about jumping into true detective if you missed out on the show the first time the second time and you're like you know i've been hearing great things about this show you've heard me talk about it for forever and you just never got around to watching it i mean give it a watch it's eight episodes a season so it's not a huge commitment but i will say it's a huge attention commitment this is absolutely not a show that if you're one of those people who i like to watch something in the background i like to half pay attention to it while i'm doing my chores or whatever and just kind of look every now and then whenever i hear something getting intense do not watch true detective that way because you'll just you'll think that this show's terrible and you'll be doing it a disservice it'll do do you a disservice it's just not that kind of show you got to give it your full attention if you're going to get anything out of it and this the third season i think is even more that way this show demands close attention and there's so much happening in this season as far as the mystery of the crime this time is what happened to these two kids these two this brother and sister these these children end up, you know, getting abducted, go missing. What happens to them? Who knows? Did they get killed? What what is it? And this crime happened like what was it in the early it was in the 80s, I think. And then we jump uh, ahead in one timeline. So in one timeline we're in the 80s and one timeline we're in the 90s and in one timeline we are uh in modern day in in present day, I should say. So it there's three different timelines going on. Mahershala Ali and Stephen Dorff are are different ages in each of these timelines. They're old men today, and I'm talking about like really old men, like senile, you know, gray hair, balding, old men, off the off the job, all that kind of stuff. In the '90s, you know, they're they're still pretty young. They're like in their 40s, and then they're in the 30s in uh, the 80s timeline. So it's it's really. Cool. The aging is really well done. The makeup is not bad at all. It looks really good. It's very natural. And it's kind of creepy because it's like you're seeing what Mahershala Ali is going to look like when he gets old, I think. So it's got to be weird when you're an actor uh, to do that kind of thing and see what you're going to look like. And, you know, he looks pretty good really old. So I think he should feel he should feel all right about himself. But Mahershala Ali is doing such a powerhouse performance in this season. He plays this, this detective who is a Vietnam veteran who – obviously did some intense very dark things when he was over there he was hunting tracking people he was that's that's what his skill set was when he was over there he was like a special forces kind of guy so just intense and he's an intense person and he hunts animals now you know for not for sport he does it you know and he eats the animals and he uses their skin and all that stuff um you know he respects them but he he is a very intense hunter, tracks the animals, wants to be on an even playing field with them when he's out there, only uses a bow, all that stuff. Just an intense guy. So it's got kind of a deer hunter um, 
you know, Robert De Niro deer hunter thing kind of going on there because that was what was happening in that movie. You had this deer hunter guy who had come back from Vietnam, seen all these horrible things, and he spends his time hunting deer. So, and that's a movie that I love. I love that film, and and that's a, a compliment to compare it to that movie. So Mahershala Ali, like I said, very intense guy. Over the years, he's, his memory's gotten bad, and so we get we see him when he's older. He doesn't remember things from the case. He's being interviewed for this true crime documentary that's being done about the case, and it was never solved after all those years. Never really solved. So it's just crazy. There's so many timelines going on. This is so complex. I would hate to even it, it gives me anxiety to even imagine them like planning this season, like putting on a board like Nick Pizzolatto, putting on a, a whiteboard where he wants the case to go, where he wants the characters to end up, where he wants them to start and how they like weaved all these threads in and out, I mean, it really is like a novel on television. So if you like complicated storytelling, if you like complex writing, if you like storylines that are not A to B, and it's not going to be like that at all, um, then give a watch to True Detective and the third season especially because I think it's really uh, a return to form to the first season. The first season was high um, as far as the quality goes. It was very high-quality stuff, and the second season dipped didn't quite live up to it. It was still better than most things that were on TV. Don't let people tell you that it was terrible because it wasn't terrible. Um, it still had that really gritty feel. It still had, it had a great performance from uh, Rachel McAdams. I thought was fantastic in the second season. Everyone else was just okay, but she was really good. Um, and then the third season is kind of back to what made the first season so great. And that is just this winding, jumping in and out of time storyline, uh, old men being obsessed with the case that they worked when they were young men and, and trying to redeem themselves for uh, what they did and what they didn't do when they were young men. So it's, uh, it's, it's intense stuff. I've really been liking it. I've been like salivating for every new episode. Um, but it's been fun to kind of watch it slowly because I think this is the kind of show that does work better for you if you watch it a little slower because there are so many details and things that you want to think about uh, as time goes by so true detective third season airing right now on hbo you can get caught up pretty quickly uh the other two seasons have been eight, eight episodes so i'm guessing this one will be eight episodes as well but if you missed that first season do yourself a favor man go back and and watch it because it's really uh gonna blow you away especially if you like crime if you like crime stories and if you like mysteries and if you like uh, police procedurals that get into the police officers' personal lives a little bit um, and shows that aren't really all about who done it, like that's not the whole drive of True Detective. Um, it's it's about a lot more than that, and and I think the third season is even more complicated than the first season is as far as how it's written and as far as the themes of the show. I think the third season is getting into some things that the first two seasons never got into. We're getting into racism um, and the attitude of of minorities and how they view police officers and how they are reluctant to help them and why that is. And it's uh, it's a pretty tense show. And this season of it is set in Arkansas, so we kind of go back to being in a rural setting, I believe the uh, the second season, if I'm not mistaken, was in like Southern California. So it was kind of in a more, you know, more populated area, a little bit more elite area. And this is back to that gritty kind of um, Southern, I don't know, Arkansas, do you consider it? Is it the South? I don't know. Whatever you consider it, like the Bible Belt, I guess, is where we are now. But, you know, it's a rural area, not a lot of people. And the people that are there are suspicious. 
and uh, it's just cool stuff. So True Detective, third season, right now on HBO. Couldn't recommend it more. It's been great so far. Mahershala Ali is kind of a shoe-in for an Emmy nomination, if not a win, for his work that he's doing in this season. And don't sleep on Stephen Dorff either. He's been really good. I used to think back then it was before now and after now. But more it's before the Purcell case and after. And it keeps coming back. Here we are. What is it? 2015. Come back again. And your wife's book, which is now, well, it's considered a classic of literary nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. She did a good job. She's a good She's a good writer. Good teacher. Good investigator, really. She was good at lots of things. Another show that's in its third season right now and had a first season that just kept me uh, wanting more and more. Again, another fantastic first season. NBC's This Is Us, the third season right now is uh, in the middle of it. It's chugging along. I'm pissed off at this show because I don't understand what their airing schedule is. It's like they'll just come come back for a couple weeks and then they'll be gone for three weeks and then come back. I guess that's what happens when you're like the number one show on TV. I don't know if it's still the number one show on TV. I don't know if ABC's uh, uh, The Good Doctor. I don't know if it if it uh, took the mantle of being the number one show on TV, I know that the good doctor was kind of nipping at its heels last year, but anyway, I want to bring up this is us on NBC because I know a lot of you guys watch that show and I've been, you know, with it from the beginning, Beth and I have watched, you know, every episode from the beginning. We're all caught up with the show. We're not like, we're not just watching it for the first time. We've been following along as the seasons happen. And we both really did love the first season a lot liked the second season and now we're in the third season and I've got to ask you the question. I don't know if people still say this but has this is us jumped the shark? That's the question I have to I have to ask you. And I hate to do it because I this is a show that has characters that I really like a lot and performances that I've I've really enjoyed over time and writing that I think has been really special and really high quality, especially for network TV. I mean, this has been way better than average network television storytelling. On This Is Us, it it earned its place as the number one show on TV with great storytelling, great characters, and an interesting way to tell its story, which again is jumping through timelines. It's kind of like True Detective in that way. Very different kind of show as far as what the subject matter is, but it does jump a lot back and forth in time, and it tells you how great of a of a storytelling gimmick that is because it, it lets you see characters when they're older, lets you see the uh, results of the actions that you're seeing as they happen when they're younger. So anyway, has it, has this is us jumped the shark. The reason I'm asking you this question, it's a serious question. Look at what the show's doing now. Wacky storylines. All right. We're bringing up, suddenly we're bringing up characters that were never part of the show, that all of a sudden are supposed to be big parts of the show, that were dead, that, wait a minute, their death was faked. So a faked death, that is a, a sign of a show jumping the shark. Somebody faking their death and, oh, turns out they were alive after all these years. This Is Us just did that, all right? And it wasn't with Jack, so don't worry. It's not like Jack's been alive all these years, although I think a lot of people would have been thrilled if it was. So it's got the dead characters coming back. We've got characters 
coming out as gay all of a sudden, which again, another thing that is kind of a thing that happens when a show's jumping the shark, we're all of a sudden going to throw a really serious character development at a character that has been kind of ancillary at this point. All of a sudden now we've got meat and, and the idea of a character being gay, being storyline meat and that's it is a problem with tv that we've had you know over the years so hopefully they do treat this with some respect instead of it just being a cheap storyline device to give this character some angst we've got characters trying to have babies trouble getting pregnant trouble having a baby once again what do you think of when you think pregnancy on a tv show and a a new baby being introduced shark jump almost always because it's a huge a cheap way for for writers to come up with storylines, cliches most of the time, um, to to throw problems at a character without really having to do a lot of work because it's just immediately that's going to cause problems. It's going to throw a wrench in their lives. They're trying to have a baby. So, again, that's Shark Jump City. We've got a sudden and very dramatic career change for one of the lead characters Again, that is a sign of a shark jumping. Somebody just all of a sudden, I've been involved in one business my entire life, my entire, you know, being a a college student to being a successful career man. Now, all of a sudden, I've decided I want to run for public office. I'm not trained for this at all. I'm going to win a seat and and then I'm going to win and I'm going to be a politician now. So that happened on This Is Us this season. These are all things that have just happened this season. I'm not saying like these are things that have happened over the course of three years. This is stuff that's just happened just in like 12 episodes of this season. A character changing, dramatically changing their career. Again, are the writers bored? Could they not come up with anything else to to give Randall to do than to change his career out of nowhere? And then finally, we've got red herrings of marital drama, which I cannot stand when this show cheapens its device of of jumping ahead in the future to make it look like, oh, the, the, the marriage of Randall and Beth is on the rocks, and then you fast forward and you actually see what happened, and it's not even really on the rocks. I don't know. It's just it's so cheap. So this is not what this show was. This is not the kind of stuff that made this show the number one show and made it such a a critical darling and an audience darling. People loved this show on both sides. That's so rare, especially in network television. Critics usually just pan everything on network television, but this show was well received by everybody. Everybody loved the show, fell in love with it. It was so charming, but now it's getting wacky all of a sudden. I don't understand season one of this is us. One of the best debut seasons any network show has ever done. If you ask me, um, I think Lost had a great first season. I think of the the great network TV first seasons. I think of shows like NYPD Blue to me probably is the benchmark for the greatest first season and first episode. Certainly the best first episode of a network show that I've ever seen in my life. Got to go to NYPD Blue. But I think of shows like This Is Us. I think of Lost. Just seasons that blew you away. And not every great show does that. The Simpsons didn't have a very good first season. It didn't get really good until the second season. So not every great show has a very good first season. But This Is Us had a great first season. Everything had a purpose that led to a singular point. Everything was so well-planned, well-written. The mysteries, the, uh, the hook was so deep. Was it melodrama partly? Sure. But, you know, it wasn't unbelievably wacky. I can deal with some melodrama if it's not just completely wacky. And some shows can be wacky. They can pull off wacky. 
Because it's built into the DNA of the show from the start. You know that's what you're getting. That's why people love Grey's Anatomy still to this day. It's why, you know, it's why the it's why uh, Modern Family works still is still on the air. It's wacky, sure, but it's always been, it's always been able to be wacky. It's part of the show's DNA. This is us was not a show that was that way. It was kind of like a, almost like kitchen sink realism. And now all of a sudden, it's just they're throwing storylines at everybody. Everybody's got to have a crazy storyline. You know, I mean, Kevin's going on some journey around the world to understand what happened with his dad in Vietnam. Why does he care that much? I mean, honestly, and I mean, he's just bored, I guess. He's rich. Success. He finally got a film career, and this is what he wants to spend his time doing. And and Randall's changing careers. He's going to help the poor, and he's going to run for office. And Kate's going to have a kid at her age and at 40. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's they're throwing storylines at everybody. Nobody can just be having their life. They've got to throw something. I don't know what's going to happen with Rebecca. They're going to throw something at her. She'll probably be be on her deathbed by the end of the season, if we're being honest with each other. I think basically for This Is Us, to me, everything since the Memphis episode, and if you watch this show, you know immediately what episode I'm talking about. The Memphis episode in the first season, everything's been downhill since there. That was like the high point of the show Everything's been downhill from there. The heart and soul of the show was kind of gone from there. And now this is what we've got. So, But if you want to be generous, I'd say maybe it's been downhill since the episode where they finally revealed Jack's death. That's probably really where it was, which was in the middle of the second season. They revealed, you know, how when Jack died, how he died, what happened. That was something everyone had been waiting to know what had happened since like the first, second, third episode. I can't remember when they revealed that he was going to die. It was early in the first season. And they they stretched that out as long as they could. But that took so much steam and holding power away from the series. It was necessary. I'm glad they didn't like try to keep stretching it out. I'm glad that they did in that storyline. And they did resolve it and they did show us how he died. But the problem was that they didn't have another hook set when they did that. They just that was the hook. That hook was so deep. And then they could have had another new one kind of running concurrently. But that was the only hook. And then when they ripped it out, it was like, well, okay, now what am I waiting on? What's the big thing I'm waiting on now that I know what happens with the great Jack? So, you know, it's just, it's all, I think, been kind of downhill from there, if you ask me. But it's probably really been downhill from the Memphis episode, if we're being honest with each other. I think that first season, though, was so good. And the second season was, you know, good. And the third season now is just wacky like it's just turned into a wacky show so has it jumped the shark has this is us jumped the shark i hate to ask it happens so quickly i feel like um you know it happened in the amount of time that it takes for a house to go up in flames if i can use that analogy here too soon i don't think so um but yeah what do you think i mean do you watch this is us do you think it's jumped the shark are you done with it are you tired of it i don't know i still like the characters and I still love the performances being done, um, you know, especially Sterling K. Brown. I mean, the guy is just so good. And Susan Kalichi Watson is so good. Those two are such so wonderful together. Chrissy Metz is awesome in this show. It's There's a lot of good acting happening. And I think the writers have proven that they can be really good, but, man, they've just, like, I don't know. Maybe they need to take a year off or something, get it, get regroup, and stop being under the deadline of network TV. But... That's my. Those are my thoughts on This Is Us. Season 3 right now is airing on NBC. It's in the middle of its third season 
run. If you have any thoughts on it, hit me up at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Kate, I'm just saying, why would you take that risk when there are so many other options out there? Because I want to. Because I want to. Because I want to look at the baby in his face and I want to. I want to see Toby. I want to see myself. I want to see. I want to see Dad. And I'm the only one in this family who's going to carry on a piece of Dad. What about me? Okay, Kev. Okay, Kev. What's that supposed to mean? You're not serious. No, no. Apparently, I'm not serious ever about anything. This is great. Okay, this, okay. What is e- that enough, mean? enough, enough. And Kate, of course, the baby would be cause for celebration. But I. Why is there a but? There... How about stop at celebration and just stop there? I just think it's irresponsible. Because of my weight? No. Yeah, you've already made that really no. clear. No, Kate. Now you're twisting my words. Okay. Well, for the past twenty years. You have swallowed every single comment about my weight. But now you want to bring it up? Now because it's something that I want? Okay, where do I draw the line? How do I toe the line, Kate? Because we can Shut up! About Everyone the- just shut up! All right, let's see what Andy's got going on. He's sitting in his, uh, his converted studio bedroom in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Let's see what he's got uh, spinning this month here on the Stream Police Podcast. I'll be back with you in a few minutes, but take it away, Mr. Sedlak. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there. Imagine uh, running into you in these parts. My name is Andy Sedlak. Thank you for listening to the Stream Police Podcast. I just want to take a second and say that if you haven't done so already, please go to uh, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a a nice, big, fat, five-star review. That'll uh, help our standing in in the podcast universe, which is getting more and more crowded every day. Um, Hopefully it'll make our show a little easier to discover. But once again, I do remind you uh, that we're not looking for charity. Only do it if you mean it. All right. Let's settle in. Does anybody remember the Super Bowl? And do you remember when uh, Maroon 5 played at halftime?
I was talking to Clint during Maroon 5's performance. And I don't think either one of us would uh, call ourselves fans. But he made the comment that since the Super Bowl was held in Atlanta, they missed an opportunity to showcase some really great acts that came from Atlanta. Because it is. It's a city rich with, um, with musical tradition, especially in hip-hop. Now, Big Boy did come out for a second, but, but you know, if you blink, you missed him. So, Clint said it was a shame that they couldn't capitalize on Atlanta's history of music. And I told him that, you know what, the suits don't care about Atlanta's tradition. And that's when he coined the term suit rock. Suit rock. And it's such a perfect term. Let's define it. Suit rock is music that's main purpose is to be commercial and to sell. It's usually pretty blah, safe, neat, tidy, trendy, basic, uncomplicated, non-controversial, non-topical, non-discriminatory. It's never a leader, always a follower, doesn't stand out, doesn't draw attention to itself, and never ever risks ruffling feathers. It's to the point, it's unfussy, it's go with the flow. It's commerce first, art second, or third, or maybe even further down the line. It sounds like Maroon 5, and it sounds like this. It sounds like this. It sounds like this. And we get to hunt, fish, love it every day. That's the prayer that a country boy prays. Thank God he made me this way. Hunting and fishing and loving every day. And, of course, it sounds like this. I know I can treat you better than he can. It's music. Approved by the suits. That is industry people, business people. This is music that's meant to sell, like a can of corn or car insurance. And this has always been around. It's a cycle in music where something legitimate happens. And then people swoop in and try to capitalize on it. A lot of the music we hear on the radio or see at the Grammys is the result of this. And it goes back forever, you know. After Elvis, you suddenly had music like this. Fabian, uh, one of many teen idol types that tried to uh, capitalize on the Elvis trend. Uh, Here he is reflecting on the experience years later. Teen idols were always on the defensive because of the image makers and making these people into something they really weren't. And were basically thrust upon the young girls of the world as being an alternate or substitute boyfriend. Some people liked that, some people didn't like it at all. 
Uh, I had no plans to ever be in show business ever. Because of an illness of my father, I met uh, a guy on the, my front doorstep. My father was being taken out in an ambulance. This guy had a good friend that lived next door. He was in the record business. Certain guys of a certain look were making it during that period. He asked me if I'd be interested. I told him no. I frankly didn't know what the hell he was talking about. But then I found out that my father couldn't work and I was the oldest of two. I was the oldest, I had two other brothers and my mom. And I asked him if I could possibly make some money. All of a sudden I was the head of the household. And he said, I think so. And I loved rock and roll. And that's how it started for me. So for every Elvis, you had three or four Fabians. For every little Richard, you had a Pat Boone, the product of men in suits who were only interested in selling music to white audiences because they figured they could make more money doing it. This continued for years. Suit rock was never absent from the music scene. For every Nirvana or Pearl Jam, you can expect to get groups like this. Some bands are not only pushed to the front of the line by corporate suits, but but are actually put together by the guys wearing suits. A classic example is the monkeys. I thought love was only true in fairy tales. And for someone else, but not for me. Love was out to get me That's the way it seemed Disappointment haunted all my dreams Then I saw her face Now I'm a believer The monkeys were put together by a movie director and a producer for a TV show, specifically for a TV show. The guys in the band did not know each other. They were not allowed to write. They played a little, but they had no say in the material they recorded. What's cool about this story, though, is that it has a twist. The band members and the monkeys bonded, grew, and eventually pushed for recording rights. And it, their, their story is uh, somewhat similar in terms of the, the, the maturing process is what you saw with One Direction, like five... Four or five decades later. You ever heard of uh, Lou Pearlman? He's the one that put together both the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. He pieced them together like paint by numbers in order to copy the success that New Kids on the Block had and to make himself rich. Actually, he put together the Backstreet Boys to mimic New Kids. 
And then he put together in sync to mimic the Backstreet Boys. And, and then he kept doing this. He put together O-Town, LFO, Natural, US-5. And what was the purpose? Cold, hard cash, baby. There was no string uh, that Perlman did not pull in order to make a buck. He signed Aaron Carter, the little brother of Backstreet Boy Nick Carter, to a recording contract. His greed eventually did catch up with him. The Backstreet Boys were... The first ones to break from Perlman because he was uh, screwing them over. He made himself both the band. <laughs> this is this is interesting if you go back and look at it. He made himself both the band's manager and its producer. There were numerous revenue streams all coming back to Perlman. He unofficially named himself a sixth member of the group collecting one-sixth of all money that was going to the members of the Backstreet Boys. This cut into their profits, and that's when they said enough is enough. It was the beginning of the end for uh, Lou Pearlman. He he would ultimately be convicted of conspiracy, money money laundering, making uh, false statements during a bankruptcy hearing. He died in federal custody in 2016. Suit Rock, Suit Rock, Suit Rock actually has a long history at the Super Bowl because it is straightforward and that is an inviting quality uh, for a mass audience. Uh, New Kids on the Block, Gloria Stefan, Christina Aguilera, Enrique Iglesias, no doubt the Black Eyed Peas have all performed at the Super Bowl. You could probably consider all of them the product of suits. And by the way, I, I hope this isn't coming across as pretentious because it's not meant to be. Uh, there's an element of commerce in in every artistic medium uh that does not make it evil um we just you know it's just that we should recognize it for what it is we should recognize it for what it is suit rock switching gears seeing as how this is february and love is in the air i want to give you five love songs that you may not be familiar with in the spirit of saint valentine first is Tougher Than the Rest by Bruce Springsteen. I like this song because it deals with adult love, not you know, not not puppy love or infatuation. Uh, the people in this song are grown-ups, and they're people with experiences behind them. Well, it ain't no secret. I've been around a time or two. Another dance 
these songs are all near and dear to me. Um, the next is just, it's epic, overused word, but, but it is. It's epic. It's For Crying Out Loud by Meatloaf and Jim Steinman. <clears throat> and if you love words, uh, if you love poetry, uh, this is just a jackpot. It rises and falls and rises again over the course of eight minutes. Uh, in the process, it sums up the uh, kind of like the, the shaggy dog pursuit of love <laughs> better than uh, most pieces of art do. Come into my room when you know I'm alone For finding me a highway, for driving me home And you gotta know that I serve you For pulling me away when I'm starting to fall For wrapping me up when I'm starting to stall Next is uh, Searching for a Heart by Warren Zevon. It is centered lyrically on this rigid outsider who is looking for the most tender of all things. And he drops this mouthful in the song that, after thinking about it, is really kind of genius. They say, love conquers all. You can't start it like a car. You can't stop it with a gun. What he's looking for is beyond his control, and that's exactly why he's seeking it out. Darkness in the morning Shadows of the land Certain individuals Aren't sticking to the plan And I'm searching for a heart Searching everyone They say love conquers all You can't start it like a car I'm going to put uh, Addiction by Kanye West on this list. Uh, Love is not always cut and dry, is it? Uh, Pure love is virtuous, but the human experience is not. Now, ultimately, this song, this song is about lust. Uh, If you're lucky, that goes hand in hand with love. Why everything that's supposed to be bad make me feel so good? Everything they told me not to was exactly what I would. Man, I tried to stop, man. I tried the best I could, but... Make me smile. What's your addiction? Is it money? Is it girls? Is it we? I've been afflicted by not one, not two, but all three. She's got the same thing about me, but more about us. She's coming over. So I guess that means I'm a drug. Just let me peek now. I mean, dang, I'm so curious. She's got a lover. So the lies and the lust is a rush. Time's of the essence. I need you to be spontaneous. Roll up the doja. Henny ain't c-c-c-colder. Then I'm c-coming over. Cause it's n- never over. 
Why everything that's supposed to be bad make me feel so good? Everything they told me not to was exactly what I would. Man, I tried to stop, man. I tried the best I could, but... And last on our love list is a country song. It's from Casey Musgraves and Willie Nelson. It's called Are You Sure? They each take turns singing to an estranged spouse who has wandered. But their devotion is not. They're, they're still hanging in there. Look around you. Look down the bar from you. At the faces that you see. you have it love is in the air and those songs will only add to it hope you enjoy them all right i feel like i'm uh, just throwing a bunch of songs at you now uh but you know we are building the most perfect playlist known to man every month we add five more songs to the playlist which you can find on spotify by searching stream police all right the first is doing it by big boy featuring sleepy brown this is a new song Next, it's uh, Reflection by Prince. You know what? Time to stereo back down. Ain't nothing worse than a whole worn out love song. Tell me, do you like my hair this way? Remember all the way back in the day when we would compare whose afro was the roundest? Mirror tie. the bay Fishing nets and posters all over the walls Next, Hold On Hope by Dayton's own Guided by Voices How about, I love this song. How about I Don't Care Anymore by Rodney Crowell. I came to town to dream it. I could make my mark in space. Forty odd years later, all my best cards have been played. Well, it's a hard knock situation when the 
accolades bestowed on your every last creation crowns out the middle of the road but I don't care anymore about the fortune or the fame I was better off before I tried to make myself a name and finally it's after the fire by Solo Roger Daltrey. That's it. Thank you so much. Try to behave yourselves. Peace. Thank you very much, Andy. I got to take some more hits off my stick here. Uh, Let's get to uh, some movies. I talked a lot about TV in the first section. I want to talk about movies in this section. Um, and I'm going to introduce a new segment here coming up in just a moment. But first off, I want to talk about a couple of movies that I saw recently. One right now that's airing on Netflix and one that's in theaters. First off, on Netflix, brand new, just debuted on the service. It's a movie called Polar. This is a Netflix original. Uh, it's based on a graphic novel series. And it looks like it was based on a graphic novel series once you get into it. This is a uh, a movie that stars Mads Mikkelsen, one of my favorite actors, from my beloved Hannibal. Uh, again, man, talk about a show that had a great first season and had a great second season and a great third season, and it got canceled. Thanks, NBC. I'm still not over that uh, cancellation. But anyway, Hannibal is streaming on Amazon if you still haven't watched that show for whatever reason. One of my absolute favorites. Polar, though, stars Mads Mikkelsen, who played Hannibal Lecter in that TV series, and this is one of those movies that reminds me of it reminds me of like Kill Bill. It's got the same kind of idea, style, setup as that as that movie. It's got a little bit of um you know, kind of like a a snatch kind of thing going on in the fact that it's so fast-paced and it's so vulgar and it's got a, a little bit of like a requiem for a dream. Uh, kind of thing happening too with how fast paced the editing and how fast the shots are. This is a dizzying movie. It's an action movie and it is very gory. It's a hard, hard R, um, even though it's not even rated R because it didn't, I don't think it went to theaters at all. I think it's just on Netflix. So it's TVMA technically, but if it was in theaters, it would be a hard R for sure. Um, bordering on NC 17 because it's got gratuitous sex and tons of, tons of violence and blood it's so bloody some it's got some torture porn elements in it this movie's really just got it all as far as bad taste goes um i mean we've got a guy in one scene uh we've got mads mickelson in one scene fully nude um out in the snow 
killing a guy who was trying to shoot him, a sniper who was laying down, uh, trying to take him out while he was having sex. Um, we've got another guy who gets shot in the middle of while he's getting a blow job and he's still got an erection while he's dead. And we actually see and hear it going down after he's killed. I mean, this movie just really bad taste all the way around. But if you like those like body, R-rated, Tarantino-style, um, heavy on style, low-on-substance action movies. This is the exact kind of movie you should be watching. And this movie is so colorful. It's like I'm, I'm almost tempted to call it gorgeous. Like, the blood is bright red. The colors that the characters wear, we've got, like, bright yellows, bright pinks. We've got dark, dark blacks. Um, every color in between. And the cut, co- the characters are equally colorful as the colors that they're wearing. Um, it's this the movie. If you're wondering what it's about, it's called Polar. I don't know why it's called that. That, that has nothing to do with the film at all, from what I can tell. Other than the people in the movie are cold. That's the only thing I could say. But the movie is about this old aging hitman, played by played by Mads Mikkelsen. He's on the eve of his fiftieth birthday, and the company that he works for. When you turn fifty, you're get, you have to retire. Because they think you're too old to be out in the field, you know, risking everything doing this. So he's got a great pension coming up when he turns 50. The company doesn't want to pay it out, so they put, you know, a team of its five or six of their best hitmen, young hitmen and women, on the tail of this guy to kill him. And of course, he's like the old wily veteran. At one point, he's wearing an eye patch. I mean, he's like he's got the beard. He's wearing the all black and stuff. I mean, he's like the the cliche, stereotypical old badass soldier doing it one more time. The soldier of fortune, and he's very good at it. There's a reason he survived so long and made so much money at this. But they're trying to kill him. These young whippersnappers, and of course, you can you can probably imagine how that goes for them. Um, so it's one of those movies that, like I said, like Kill Bill where she, the bride, has the list. She's literally got the list, and she's going down the kill list one by one, all the old hitmen she used to work with, and she's killing them one by one to try to get to Bill. Well, that's kind of what Polar is like. This guy, he's not going down a list. He's waiting for them to come to him, and then he's taking them out as they try to do so. And it's, this movie's got so many really good action scenes in it, um, that just memorable action scenes. But i got to tell you, man, it is really gory really violent so you have to have a strong stomach for that kind of thing you have to not mind gun glorification violence glorification and um you know heavy sex scenes because there's a lot of that this is not one of those to watch with your grandparents probably unless they're into that kind of thing and if they are then you're lucky um but uh give it a whirl if you like that kind of thing i'm not going to say it's a great movie it's not doesn't have much in the way of storyline doesn't have much in the way of originality I've seen all these things kind of done in other movies, but what it does have is Mads Mikkelsen, and he's worth the price of admission for anything. I don't care what the content is. He's just so good, and he's great in this role. Um, The guy can do anything. I don't care. Give it a watch if you like that kind of movie, if you like the Tarantino kind of uh, hard R action movies. um, Turn your mind off. Something to watch. It's not the kind of thing I usually recommend on this show, but uh, uh, I had fun with it anyway. I was laughing a lot during this movie, but very dark 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 laughs uh during polar which is streaming on netflix again it's a netflix original so it'll be there forever so if you listen to this show a year or two after it airs you can still check polar out it's from the the same director that did a movie called spun years ago i don't know if you saw that uh that was one of the most disturbing movies i can remember in recent memory just really like it was like a poor man's requiem for a dream 
and it was like trying to be more funny than serious um, as far as t- tackling heroin addiction, but not quite as funny as train spotting, but you know, still funny and just really had like all these gross <laughs> images in it. And that's, you can definitely see the influence of that. He's a big music video director, so he's very heavy on style. Um, not so much on substance, not so deep on substance, but, uh, uh, if you like that kind of thing, if you like a, a movie that'll just make your TV look really good, then, uh, give Polar a watch. It's streaming for you on Netflix. Try not to be scared. Scared of what? You make mistakes when you're afraid. No mistakes. Not today. Alexei, activate plan B. I'm going to kill you. Why? Because that's what I get paid to do, Duncan. Who's paying you? <gasps> Does it fucking matter? You'll be dead before we leave here. Well, in that case, I guess I wouldn't want you to leave then. Yeah, you can't always get what you want, old man. Goodbye. One that's in theaters for you right now, I want to uh, highlight real quick because it's up for a bunch of Oscars, including Best Picture. And by the uh, next time we speak, I think the Oscars will have aired. or No, they'll, they'll probably be like on the eve of airing next time we speak. But anyway, The Favorite, which stars Olivia Coleman, Rachel Weiss, and Emma Stone. So really strong cast there. Uh, three leading ladies right at the top of it. So this movie is set in 18th century England, and it's about the Queen of England, Queen Anne at that time, real, the real queen. All the people in the movie are real. I could not believe that after I saw this movie. I thought for sure it was one of those period films that everything was fictional. All the people were made up, but the things that happened in this movie really happened. And the people, really, they're real people from history, and it's insane because of how nuts this movie is. So um, Olivia Coleman plays Queen Anne. She's like this very sickly... Um, you know, just th- this very soft woman who has kind of let everyone make her mind up for her uh, every step of the way throughout her reign, um, has never really asked any questions, just kind of sits in the castle, never leaves, never does anything, never challenges herself, um, and leans heavily on uh, her best friend and her advisor, which uh, is played by Rachel Weiss. All of a sudden, though, Rachel Weisz's cousin is introduced in the movie, um, and she's played by Emma Stone. She's this commoner who shows up at the castle and starts her way out as a, a servant, kind of like a Cinderella story, and rises up to become um, the queen's advisor also. So the movie's called The Favorite because it's it's about who's going to be the favorite of the queen. Who is she going to favor? Uh, which of these two cousins? And they both kind of bring different things to the table. They're both cutthroat in different ways. This movie's really great because it's it's all about like ambition how toxic ambition can be jealousy how bad that can be um especially when so when so much is at stake and it's just a really uh a wild movie especially for a period piece and as lush as the costumes and the sets are in this movie and they're very lush the things that these people say um the things that come out of their mouth i mean are just so foul and the language is so strong and um you know, I mean, we've got like nude scenes in the movie and it, there's there's a lot of degrading things happening. It's just not the kind of things you see usually in a period piece. Usually those movies are so stuffy. And I've always had a problem with that because I feel like 
these people of that age and especially in that age, you know, the, the, the class difference was like even more vast than it is today. If you can believe it, the people at the top had to be having fun, right? I mean, there's no way they were just sitting in their castles, not doing anything. Um, you know, like not having these wild orgies and not, um, just denigrating people all day long because they could. And that's what this movie does. It it kind of flips everything you thought you knew about like the 18th century England and the Royal family on its head and shows you like probably really what these people were like, maybe what they are like today. Um, and it's just, a, it's got great characters, great performances. It's moving. There were some moments where you want to cry. There's some moments where it's hilarious. Some moments where you get pumped up. Um, it's kind of got everything, and it's just a gorgeous movie. Really well done. I loved it. It's my favorite movie of uh, 2018, I would have to say. Now, I'll, I'll, I think next month on the show, I'm going to run down what my favorites of 2018 uh, were, as I usually do in, in the March episode. Uh, but I got to say, the favorite, uh, Sitting Strong, is probably my favorite, no pun intended, movie of the year. I just I was blown away by it. So if you get a chance to see it in theaters, if you like period films, um, even if you don't like period films, this one, this one is unlike any that I've seen before in its quality and in its style. And it's just so <laughs> body again. Um, I'm guaranteed I'm, I'm recommending some hard R movies for you here. Not any family films this month, uh, but check it out. And it's also, I think the most that I've ever liked Emma Stone in a movie. I, I'm not a huge fan of hers. Haven't been a huge fan of the movie selection, the the films that she's done. You know, my thoughts on La La Land. I thought it was trash and, uh, she's, very unlikable in this movie, but I think it's might be the most likable that I've ever seen her because you kind of get why she's doing the things she's doing. And, uh, you know, by the end, maybe your stomach has turned a little bit against her, but at the beginning, anyway, you're rooting for this woman and Emma does a great job in the role. She's very, she's very good in this movie. I really liked her performance. I loved the performances of all three of them and the costumes are so good. I hope this film wins best costume at the Oscars. Uh, because it's definitely earned it. Rachel Weisz's costumes are f- just fantastic, just badass. I'd love to see, uh, you know, it, you would love to have been a woman back then and dressed the way that she dressed. She just get, kind of uh, just really gives off an air of uh, authority every time she enters a room in the, the outfits that she's wearing in this movie. So check out The Favorite. It's in theaters now. It'll be coming out on uh home video, I guess. Is that what we still say? Streaming uh, pretty soon. But if you get a chance to see it in theaters, it's gorgeous there. And it's it's worth your money, worth your time. I think you'll like it a lot. You'll think it's funny. But take a friend with you and, and check it out. The favorite now in theaters. I'm ready for the Russian ambassador. Who did your makeup? We went for something dramatic. Do you like it? You look like a badger. Oh. Are you going to cry? Really? Well... What do you think you look like? Badger. Do you really think you can meet the Russian delegation looking like that? No. I will manage it. Go back to your rooms. Okay, so I told you I wanted to introduce a new segment, and real quick, what that segment is, nothing too uh, much. Like I said at the beginning, I I watch a lot of movies. Uh, You can follow me now on Instagram to see all the movies that I'm watching at any given time. And I wanted to just every month tell you whatever the best thing that I watched that month was. So the best thing I watched this month is what I'm going to call this. The best thing I watched this month. 
And the best thing that I watched for the month of January of 2019 has to be a movie from 1988 called The Vanishing. This was a thriller that I checked out from the library. It's a, a Criterion collection, so you know you're usually going to be uh, doing all right there. It was it was Janus Films, so again, you know you're going to be doing all right there. It's one of the best uh, studios. Every time I see the Janus Films logo before a movie, I always know I'm going to be in for something great. And The Vanishing was no different. This is a movie that was it's a French film. And uh, Stanley Kubrick was said to be a huge fan of this movie. This was apparently one of his all-time favorite movies. Um, and I got to say, I agree with Stan on this one uh, because I was blown away. I thought I had kind of seen everything that a thriller can offer, all the Hitchcock movies that I've watched. And, you know, it's it, that's the arrogance of, uh, you know, kind of being an American. But even movies like Peeping Tom from other countries that I really love a lot and like Blow Out and, um, you know, Plenty of good ones blow up, um, but The Vanishing really blew me away, and it's as good a thriller as I've ever seen and absolutely one of the grimmest movies that I've ever seen. The ending, I, that was w really one of the things that hooked me. I picked this movie up just randomly at the library and uh, looked at the back of it, and it was talking about how you know it was an ending that has unnerved audiences for decades, and I was like, yeah, sure, we'll check it out and see what's going on in the ending. The whole movie's great, but oh my God, the ending did absolutely unnerve me. Hard to sleep after I watched it, and I couldn't believe that they put it on film. I was like, wow, that's the way it went? Apparently, they remade this as an American movie a few years later. Same director, actually, uh, but it's absolutely awful. They changed the ending. Of course, they made it more like Hollywood. Uh, Jeff Bridges plays the villain in the, the American version, so you would think it'd be good, but it's not. It sucks, apparently. So check out The Vanishing, though. Uh, it's got as good a villain as I've ever seen in any movie. No hyperbole there. Absolutely chilling villain. And just one of those guys who outthinks everyone every step of the way and is proud to do it uh, and is proud to boast about it. So, yeah, I was blown away by this movie. I loved it, everything about it. If you like thrillers, give it a watch, man. It will be creepy, though. Um, so, you know, maybe don't watch it right before you go to bed. It's called The Vanishing. And it's from 1988. Nice French film. That's the best thing I watched this month. And believe me, I watched a lot of good ones this month. But that one just, just edges them out as the best one. All right, some movies now streaming on Netflix and Amazon. Before we send you out the door here, I'd like to give you something funny and something serious on both Netflix and Amazon that's new this month. First off, on Netflix, something funny for you. The Edge of Seventeen. This was a really funny um, and one of those kind of more weighty teen movies that we've been seeing a lot of lately, movies like uh, um, Love, Simon. I really like this one. This one was more fun. I would say probably funnier than those other two, but still has some weight to it. And Haley Steinfeld, really great performance, again, by the little young Oscar nominee from True Grit. She's all grown up now, uh, and she's very confident in her own skin, very good in this movie. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I liked The Edge of Seventeen a lot. It was kind of a, a fun little gem from, I think it was 2017 that that movie came out. I really liked it. It's on Netflix now. Something funny for you. So if you want to, if you like a teen movie, check that one out. And Jaws is something serious for you that's new on Netflix. The 1976 masterpiece that introduced the world to the concept of a summer blockbuster changing cinema forever. Got to be one of the most important movies ever made and one of Spielberg's absolute best. Um, 
So, I mean, when you say Spielberg's absolute best, you're putting it on a list of about 12 absolute best movies. But uh, Jaws is right up there with anything the guy's ever done. It's so frightening. It's also moments of it are fun as far as an adventure goes. It's deadly serious. Roy Scheider is as good as he ever was, and he was always good. Um, And uh, Richard Dreyfuss is great in it. I mean, it's just a a fantastic movie. Um, You got to love Jaws. If you've never gotten around to it, Give it a watch. Seriously, it's one of those movies that you probably think is overhyped. It's not overhyped. It's like Psycho. There's a reason why everyone tells you that it's one of the greatest movies ever because it absolutely is and it still can thrill you to this day. So check out Jaws right now on Netflix. You won't be uh, disappointed at all. And on Amazon, something funny for you. Uh, New this month, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I just saw this one for the first time a couple months ago. Beth and I watched it. Neither of us had ever seen it. Had always heard great things. And I loved it. I think she loved it too. It was uh, really fast-paced and very funny and very fresh. Felt like it could have come out last year, and it was, uh, of course, from like 1994. This was one of the rare rom-coms to be nominated for Best Picture back in the day. So, of course, it was a big critical darling, and I can totally see why. Hugh Grant, so good in this uh, movie, very charming, bumbling, stumbling, and... um, it's got a great kind of picture of friendship in your 20s, in your late 20s, as everyone should be kind of settling down and getting serious, but people aren't. Um, I can see a little bit of the, kind of the seeds being planted for like a sex in the city uh, in Four Weddings and a Funeral, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. It's very British as well, so that's it's get, getting points for that. So that's something funny for you on Amazon. Something serious for you on there from 1999, The Thomas Crown Affair. I'm not going to recommend the old one with Steve McQueen and uh, Faye Dunaway, even though those are two of the sexiest people to ever live. I like the old one, but I love the 1999 one. I think it's one of the rare remakes that's actually better than the original. I would take the remake any day of the week over the original when it comes to the Thomas Crown Affair. The remake is sexier. The remake's got, uh, it's better directed. It's um, probably, you know, the acting's right on par. I would say Rene Russo is really good, and Pierce Brosnan is really good. this is, I mean, this is Pierce Brosnan at his best. He's better than he is in Bond, I'd say, in this movie. And it's just really good. It's a really cool twist ending as well, um, if you like that kind of thing. So g- give it a watch. If you like those heist movies, you gotta, you got to love The Thomas Crown Affair from 1999. If you missed it for whatever reason, give it a watch. It's very good. One of the better remakes that's ever uh, been done in Hollywood. All right, so that's going to do it for this month's edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thanks for checking us out. Please uh, subscribe and rate, review, do all that great stuff uh, because, uh, you know, it, it makes us feel good. Even if we don't make any money off of it, we like to see that. It makes us feel like we're doing a good job here. And we'd love to hear from you guys as well. You can email me anytime at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. You can reach out to Andy at sedlakjournal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K journal at gmail.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis if you want to see what I'm watching when I'm watching it. I'll talk to you next time, my friend. Thanks for checking us out. Until then, stream on. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.